Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. So good to have you with us, everybody. It is March 21st. We say that for all of those of you who are logging in and downloading this podcast. You know which program you're listening to. Again, we appreciate you joining us. For those of you that are dialing in, looking like people dialing in from all over the country. Appreciate so much you being here as a part of this podcast. Again, we're going to be talking today about a little bit of, see, we're going to get some insights from inside the Beltway on the CFPB's priorities for mortgage lending and mortgage servicing in 2016 and beyond. Our special guest talking on this topic is Don Lamp, attorney with Morrison Forster, and we're excited to have him. Don and I did a uh, a webinar here recently together, and I've known Don and talked uh, known of Don, uh, but he and I presented together on a compliance ease webinar. It was really excellent. I just appreciate the fact that Don has the background that he does and is so much in the background of everything. He is the, probably the number one attorney in the United States that's advising our technology com- mortgage technology companies on how to wa- go through the waters that we're dealing with as it relates to the regulatory side. So we have a lot of great attorneys on here, and Don's uh, and Don is one of those great attorneys, but he has special focus is really working with our tech companies. So you want to find out what the advice is that your tech company is getting, be sure to be in the Hot Topic segment. That's what's going on here at the bottom of the hour. So the first half of the hour, we're going to be talking about rates and regulations and a whole bunch of other things. So it's good to have you with us, everybody. I see that Paul Malo's dialed in. We've got Sam Garcia in. We've got the full crew. Unfortunately, Alice is not going to be with us, nor is the Profit Doctor. Both are with clients. This podcast, again, is created by Mortgage Professionals for Mortgage Professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Innovation Award. Very grateful for that. I want to say a special thank you and shout-out to our sponsors. Start off with ArchMI, the creator of the new innovative RateStar product. We're going to hear more about that a little bit later in the program. Also, Motivity Solutions, the industry's leading business intelligence technology and the nation's leading company providing real-time reporting, dashboards, and scorecards. They provide us a KPI of the week the key performance indicator, the week of the week, and that will be coming up a little bit later. Also, Velma. These guys are awesome to work with. If you're looking for somebody to help get the word out, a marketing partner to get it, you know, broadcast out your message, uh, whether it be a customized uh, uh, email campaign or a set it and forget it, they also do the old snail mail stuff as well. Uh, I use them exclusively for the electronic side of it, and they do an awesome job. I encourage you to check them out at Velma, V-E-L-M-A, Dot com stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. Brent Emler and the team there are outstanding to work with. Also, their newest sponsor, Simplifile, has joined us. They're in, a, in this post-trid world, timing is of essence, and they have unique technology that really helps keep you up to date with your closing agents wherever they are. They do it electronically. They provide a collaborative method which you can work with settlement agents in a real-time way with both chatting and messaging. You can track, share, receive, and validate documents that are out there. It's an excellent service, and when you look at how to stay on top of all the things that are going on, email just doesn't work. This is real-time. It's an excellent tool. I encourage you to check it out at simplifile.com or call them at 1-800-460-5657. Again, go back and listen a couple weeks ago, three, four weeks ago now. How uh, time flies. Uh, we had Nancy Alley on, who is the head of sales there, talking about the product. I encourage you to go check that out. Also, special thank you to all of our regular contributors, Alice, Joe, Andy, Paul, Sam, and the list goes on. Appreciate you all very much. Upcoming conferences, I will be speaking this week, tomorrow afternoon, speaking with one of the heads of uh, CFPB, along with the head of, one of the heads of uh, Fannie Mae and, uh, in Oklahoma City. And so if you're in the Oklahoma City area, if you're not signed up to be at this uh, afternoon meeting, one-day afternoon meeting in uh, Oklahoma City, sign up for it. Uh, Kent Carter graciously asked me to come and speak with these um, 
real well known. I think I'm brought on maybe for comic relief, uh, but I'm glad and honored to be able to speak with at this event. So if you're there in Oklahoma City, come check us out. Also, we have the NBA Technology Conference coming up April 3rd through the 6th. I'll be there doing a live podcast from the D&H booth. We, I'm also just found out I'm presenting there and I'm doing a, a panel, or uh, so I'm excited to have that opportunity. Just found that out. Also, there is um, the Single Family Rental Finance Conf Workshop coming up April 7th. We have the April 11th through the 12th, the State and Local Workshop, which also then backs up to the National Advocacy Advocacy Conference, April 12th through the 13th. May 1st is the Legal Issues and Regulatory Compliance Issue in Denver. So also doubles with the um, – I think it also doubles with the uh, Compliance uh, User Conference. So looking forward to it. Check out all these events for the MBA at MBA Conferences and Education, the website. When you're there, sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance. Joe Farr, good to have you here with us each and every week. I have your screen up all the time, Joe, and I'm looking good. at the market going in the wrong way. What's going on? Well, it has. It's just dipped uh, lower, hasn't it? It's down 8.30 seconds. and. Uh, you know, the data we got this morning supported an improving price, but uh, early on we we drifted lower, and uh, at 10 o'clock when the, when the existing home sales data came out, we didn't see a blip. Uh, so, uh, you know, some of this is, I think, just reversing the pretty good gains we had last week, David. Yeah, that's why I was wondering if that was the case, because we did have some good games. Well, let's get into that. Let's talk about what happened yeah. last week. Well, today, uh, well, first, uh, retail, uh, well, let's talk uh, to existing, existing home sales. A uh, big, yeah. big miss to the downside. Uh, just over 5 million units on an annualized basis. That was 7.1% below uh, the rate last month. And, uh, you know, but it's not it's not as big a sign of weakness as you might expect. Uh, uh, the realtors blame it on lack of inventory and high prices, which says there's still demand out there, which is a good thing. And maybe that's why the market didn't perceive this as weakness. So, um yeah, just high prices and oh. and uh, and not much to pick from. Yeah, well, we'll see what uh, what happens. And we also have new home sales coming out. You're going to talk about that here in a minute. So we'll see if that's a right. uh, verifies that as well. But you know, last week, last month, if I recall correctly, existing home sales also disappointed, but new home sales did better. Or was it the other way around? I'm kind of trying to remember exactly. No, I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> well, that's why you got your website. You don't have to, like Einstein said, you don't have to go remember what's written down for you. So go check it out at MBS Quote Line. Right. Let's talk about last week some and run through some of those. Well, like I said, it was a good week for mortgage rates. Uh, overall, the prices improved about 18.30 seconds, and all that came on the day of the Fed meeting and, and, and the two days following. So um, the, the fact that they didn't raise the Fed funds rate was not – you know, shouldn't have that big an impact on mortgage rates, right? I mean, it doesn't affect more; it doesn't set mortgage rates, and and, and it was more what they said. And uh, what they said was that the they, they assess the economy as being uh, a little weaker in, in a number of fronts. One, uh, you know, just U.S. economic growth is is um, a little weaker. Global economic growth is weaker, and inflation is. Uh, below what they thought, so there was not a need to um, to raise the Fed funds rate. And of course, you know they guided uh, for future increases uh, down from four and sixteen to two. So all that uh, was seen as you know as economic weakness and and uh, not terribly inflationary. Another nice thing that does, and and maybe one of the reasons the MBS price movement uh, Im- improved as much as they did. Was that that just puts further down the road the the time at which they begin to uh, uh, dispose of their MBS holdings, MBS Treasury holdings, and you know when they do that, that's going to when they when they uh, indicate they're going to start doing that, I think that's going to be a, a pretty big negative for mortgage rates. Uh, certainly, uh, they're not. They've said they're not going to do that. They're not going to start selling their holdings until they're well into normalization of rates, and so. We're not getting. We're getting to normalization rates more slowly now. Uh, the economic data last week was mixed, Dave. The uh, retail sales disappointed. Um, it, it was not as what was expected. Uh, uh, it was. It fell a little bit, but it was falling for from a significantly revised downward prior month. Yeah, that's the so point. That is the. It point was really the prior month. Yeah. Yeah. 
industrial production fell more than expected. Uh, you know, the regional manufacturing things have been big time negative lately, but they both exceeded expectations. Both the Empire State Index and the Philly Fed exceeded expectations. Uh, you know, we were talking about the housing market and and, and uh, new versus existing. Well, the single family housing starts rose to a very good level. They're the best level they've been since November 2007 when you focus just on the, the single family. So that was good. Home builder confidence remained high. So, um, you know, maybe it's the, uh, the, the new home side that is going to outperform the existing home side. Uh, jolts showed, uh, uh, you know, good job openings. Um, inflation was, was uh, higher than expected. Uh, core CPI came in at a 2.3% rate. That's uh, significantly higher, and it's, and it's gone up over each of the last three months. So, I think it make a uh, make the next core PCE rating uh, very important. That didn't come out until the last week of the month. Um, so, uh, and then looking at next week or this week, it's a very light week for. Uh, economic news new home sales comes out on wednesday durable orders on thursday and then we'll get that third look at first uh, fourth quarter gdp but boy that seems like it's old news by now someone just texted me a quick message and they said uh love joe's site on it all the time um i look <clears throat> they said looked at last week's uh housing starts numbers and read that as an overall negative and they're saying how is it and, and so they're they like maybe others, are a bit surprised when you hear them saying single-family starts actually rose. So I think it's important to talk about the single-family number just briefly when it comes to housing starts, because that includes, um, you know, what is, is in the in the housing starts? So is just, it all housing, apartments, and everything? It, right, right. And, and so really we as an industry want to focus on, on the single-family units exactly because right. that's what we finance. So. Uh, yeah, that Here comes was another uh, question. So how can we get oh, that? No. So how where do we find that? Well, <laughs> you get you get some comments yeah. on that. That's good. Good. I I I don't have the details in front of me, so I can't give you that other than the single family component outperformed um the the overall component. So it was it was very good. That's good news. That's good news. Well, it gave us a little surprise. I learned something today as well. So always good to have you on here, Joe, and I love your analysis. You do such a great job. It's a quick and easy to read. You know exactly what's going on, folks. You got to get this service. Sign up for it. If you're if you are signed up and you're not using it, why? <laughs> I got to keep that question. Anyway, we're going to be right back after this brief break. We've got Paul Mala on the line to get an update from the IMF News. We'll be right back after this brief break. Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market, whether you're in the office or on the road. See for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to MBSQuoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. MBSQuoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Paul Malo, good to have you here with us. Always love looking at your website, imfnews.com. Listeners, if you're not signed up for it, get to it and get signed up. Very valuable information. Paul, man, lots of news last week. I, I, I want to cover what you got up on the website and what you're looking at now, but could we start, start talking about the W.J. Bradley thing and what you've learned on that? I know you've been writing a lot. On it. That was that was kind of a that little bit sent of a tremor through the, through the industry. Yeah, listen, the smoke is still out there. I mean, just, you know, a few caveats on this story. Um, they didn't file for bankruptcy. It looks right. like they basically just closed the doors and said, well, it's a self-liquidation, or at least that's what it looks like. You know, right. the word on the street is basically that, uh, you know, they had some jumbos uh, apparently on their warehouse lines. 
they couldn't sell them into the secondary market and or uh they got hit with margin calls uh you know and and we don't know cuz you know that's sort of the sketchy part of it you know what what we and other news organizations have been reporting to reporting on and uh you know the company's not clarifying and we know we understand uh that uh, some of their people have moved over to a company called Supreme Lending I believe uh, we believe they have some servicing rights, which lender live with subservicing for them. We can only assume that that stuff will be sold, uh, and they're just sort of self-liquidating. Uh, and it's apparently because of you know trade errors that couldn't be cleaned up, uh, and investors in the secondary market wouldn't buy them, or at least uh, if they did, uh, they were offering to buy them at a discount, and and basically. Uh, the company said no, or they did sell them at a discount, and they they just taking their money earned from previous years and they're walking away. I mean, that's that's sort of what it looks like. Um, Especially when when there's no bankruptcy involved in there. I think that's the other thing that's really telling. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I've reached out to some pretty high-level people. We've had enough. Yeah. That's what it sort of looks like. I mean, you know, we're not obviously the only ones reporting on this other other organization as well. And, and I, you know, it seems like we need to move that the story forward to figure out what's going on. I mean, it'd be I nice agree. if W.J. Bradley said something official to the industry and at large. But you know, and we've been hearing talk that there's a couple other firms that might be in the same boat that are smaller, more thinly yeah. capitalized that are having trouble with loans just staying on those lines too long. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Yep. So, but, yeah, yeah, especially when the market backs up, and I do believe that we're going to see more of that. Uh, I was talking to one of the larger warehouse lenders that was involved in uh, uh, the W.J. Bradley thing, and they're saying, nah, what's in the press isn't exactly the right story. So I said, please tell us that we can't, Dave. We can't talk to you about it. Yeah, well, but, yeah, um, something's going on. Yeah, know, but the fact, um, I think what's most telling is they did not file bankruptcy because if there was a serious margin call that could have it, that usually invokes a BK right, right, out, of the, right out of the gate. But so there's, there, it'll be interesting. It, it will come out over time. Uh, one of the other groups that I know very well um, moved over to SWBC, so the, the, they quickly scattered those that were. That was the other shot, right? SWBC. Yeah, yeah, SWBC. I think they picked up a hundred million dollars over the Texas operation. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's really interesting to see how quickly people respond when these events happen. And there are more. I very much believe there's more coming. And so, sadly, so more of the story. Yeah. Well, let's talk about today. What's oh on yeah. Your website? <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, then there's the day. Yeah, uh, listen, uh, GSC seller uh, buybacks, we track that all the time. Every quarter, John Bancroft uh, crunched the new numbers. Fannie and Freddie seller services repurchased just $357 million, uh during the fourth quarter. That's one of the lowest readings in, uh, you know, in forever. Uh, you know, basically another $657 million are, are sort of subject to uh, buybacks that are pending or disputed repurchase. Uh, repurchase request. Bottom line here is that uh, you know th- that that scourge on the industry is going away um, for a number of reasons. Loan quality is just so wonderful. There's been um, a mechanism set up where you can negotiate with the GSE on your buyback. So you know it looks like that that bad problem is behind the industry, and lenders of course aren't taking any chances on their underwriting. So they're being very careful, and ergo. You know, less buybacks because they're being right. they're only making pristine loans. Um big story having to do with trade or sorta of big. Uh we, we reported on this a couple of weeks ago. We knew this was in the works. Uh SysFig and the rating agencies are working together. Uh they've come up with a draft proposal to uh basically to handle some of these issues involving trade errors uh and disclosures in the secondary market, which is is all sort of tied in with I guess the W. J. Bradley story. Uh, and uh, there'll be more on this coming in a few weeks, so stay tuned on that one. We don't know if this proposal or language is going to solve all the problems uh, having to do with curing trade errors and, and getting secondary market investors comfortable with the collateral, but we'll see. At least it's a step forward because no one, no one believes the CFPB, by the way, is going to issue any kind of formal guidance whatsoever at this point unless something changes rapidly, So, but you never know. Uh, spring is here. We all know that today, I guess, is the first day of spring. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, we had snow yeah. here, of course, of course, in the Washington course, area. Yeah. You know, yesterday for a couple hours. 
Oh, With no guns, bring it. It's not yeah, listen, uh, listen loan, you know, we did a story about loan officers. Uh, you know, that's an ongoing story. You know, if you're a good loan officer, people will want to hire you. And it's um, there's a story that's in our larger publication, Inside Mortgage Trends, that talks about it. Uh, the hiring numbers have been looking pretty good uh, for non-banks mostly. Banks continue to look like to be very careful on costs. So. Another servicing auction from the folks at Mountain View. They have a pretty big portfolio in, out there, $6.19 billion. It's Fannie Freddie stuff. I should point out that Mountain View as well as IMA, Moravest, uh, they have deals in the market. Uh, Presswick, I know, is working on stuff. MAAC is doing flow stuff. And I haven't heard Phoenix Capital in a while, but I assume they have some deals in the works. So that, that market probably will start to perk up a little more because rates you know, have risen enough. People are feeling more comfortable at selling. Uh, I know time's running out. Uh, Tim Howard, who used to be the CFO at Fannie, yep. was critical of the GSC risk-sharing deals. If you want more on that story, go to the website. Uh, the NAR, uh, you guys talked about the um, existing home sale numbers, where there's a, a piece in short take section of the daily today about you know what uh, Lawrence Yoon thinks of uh, you know why why those numbers were so weak, and the, the East Coast blizzard is part of that, but also some other stuff. You know, lack of supply. I think you guys touched on that. Uh, yeah. People want to buy. They look at the prices and they're like, oh my goodness, you know, you know, who wants to you know, pay out all their salary to, to to afford a mortgage. And then, they, of course, they fear, well, you know, then, then the housing market levels off and you're not going to get fast appreciation. So it's, it's, we're an interesting time. Hot housing markets, and we've talked about this before, they're really hot. And uh, people are thinking twice about buying. You know, they want something that's more affordable. And yeah, that's going to be an interesting story the rest of the year. Yeah, there's a website, Logan Motoshami, who's been a guest on the radio program, writes a really interesting blog and is challenging a lot of the conventional wisdom. He says this whole issue related to inventory is just bogus. He says, I mean, yeah, it could be stronger. If you look at the statistics, those numbers, he's not challenging the numbers. But he says it's affordability that is really the biggest issue that's that's costing us this uh, a stronger, more robust housing recovery. And then he also shows, looking at housing starts as it relates to where we're at in the recovery. It's very interesting graphs, along with D.S. Short. Uh, I'm not sure who uh, is the guy that uh, also publishes on this topic. So it's really interesting to see what's out there, Paul. But your website is just outstanding, and I appreciate you coming on each and every week and giving us an update. Uh, folks, uh, get signed up. Go to www.imfnews.com. Sign up for this and get all this good wisdom landing in your inbox. Paul, thanks so much for being here, friend. Appreciate it. Sure. What time is Don Lampy on, by the way? I look forward to hearing his comments. Don will, yeah, yeah, Don is going to be on right here uh, probably in the next uh, five, ten minutes, less, five, five, okay. five or less, ten minutes or less, probably right over there. So real quick. looking forward to having look his comments. Looking forward to it. Yes, indeed. Yeah. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. All right. Let's get over to and uh, talk with our good friend Sam Garcia. Always fun to get the update on what's happening there. Another great, excellent website uh, that has a lot of great information on it. And one of the things I like most about Sam's Gar- Sam Garcia's website, and it's called MortgageDaily.com, www.MortgageDaily.com. Check it out. There's some really good reporting in here. And that's – I look at – you know, Paul's got this instant stuff that's kind of going on, and, and Sam covers a lot of that as well, picks it up out of the news. But it's really the reporting and some of the data that he has in here. Very compelling, very interesting. Check it out. Sam, good to have you with us, friend. Good to be here. Cold? Thanks, David. Yes, it is cold up in Dallas. It is down here in Austin. My goodness, it has been chilly. We had 80 some. You know, it's chilly, but it's blue and beautiful. So I'll take the blue and beautiful with a little bit of a chill. Absolutely. Well, let's cover some of the items on your website. Good to have you with us, friend. Yeah, we've got a lot of data that we covered actually this past week. Uh, First and foremost, uh, on our Mortgage Daily Mortgage Market Index, which reflects uh, average per-user rate locks by open-close clients, it was down 1% last week. Um, And what was interesting is a nice week-over-week gain in uh, new refinance and jumbo business was offset by a decline in new ARM, purchase, and FHA-insured business. So. you can see where what's doing better and what's doing worse. On that uh, NAR report you talked about, uh, I think you were asking about some of the numbers. Single-family home sales were down 7.2%, while um, 
condo and co-op sales were off 6.6%. A little bit more detail. Uh, that's where on the hit. Yeah, that, that's where it hit. The hit took. It. Okay, good. Okay, well, um, the uh, Conference of State Board Bank Supervisors put out a report today on MLS and MLS data. Uh, we're still working on that story, and we're still waiting for some final data from them. But uh, we can tell you that uh, the number of state-licensed mortgage loan originators and the number of federally registered originators at uh, banks have both increased uh, between 2014 and 2015. On the other side, though, uh, at the same time, the number of banks and non-banks that are registered in the system were down. So uh, that that full story should be published this afternoon. It has a lot of nice details, including some state-specific activity. Um, Now, we had a couple of uh, outlooks that were uh, forecasts that were released last week. Um, The mortgage bankers put out their mortgage finance forecast, and the trade group raised its expectations for uh, 2016 overall production to $1.523 trillion from last month when they were predicting uh, $1.483 trillion. Always good news when uh, the economists at our major trade group see more optimism in this year's uh, originations. And, in fact, it was the third consecutive month that MBA improved its outlook. Um, and it was both refinances and purchases that were uh, looking better for this year. And, and that was just one. The other one was Fannie Mae. Economists at that government-sponsored enterprise uh, also raised their forecast for this year's total originations. They expect uh, $1.560 trillion compared to the $1.508 trillion they predicted last month. And in addition, Fannie increased last year's estimate of uh, overall originations to $1.71 trillion from uh, $1.69 trillion that it predicted in February's outlook. So more good news there. Uh, obviously, uh, rates having been a little bit lower recently is uh, impacting that. Um, we covered a story last week uh, about uh, the Arizona Court of Appeals that published an opinion in a case involving Bank of New York. Uh, the ruling was that homeowners associations can redeem a residential property even though it's already been through a foreclosure sale. So uh, that's a little bit scary. That case involved a $200,000 loan and a $2,000 HOA lien. So uh, we'll see what happens uh, potentially uh, in that that type of stuff going forward. Um, the Mortgage Bankers Association put out their mortgage production profits report last week, um, and that showed that independent servicer swung to a six-basis-point profit in the fourth quarter from a three-basis point loss in the third quarter and a one-basis point loss in the prior year quarter. So uh, there's improvement there in servicing. But at the same time, uh, the MBA report said that quarterly profits uh, for originations declined and production expenses uh, rose as lenders grappled with uh, new integrated disclosures. So there's a suggestion there that TRID may have impacted profits, though it wasn't explicit, so you can look a little deeper and see some numbers. Part of what I saw was that uh, you saw the uh, the expenses go up, uh, you know, for instance, like employees and so forth, as originations went down. And, of course, that always happens when originations drop because it takes a while for companies to adjust their staffing and other expenses uh, that are a little bit more slow to move than originations do. So, But uh, those are some of the highlights of uh, the last week that we picked up on. Of course, we've got lots more on the website. A lot more on the website. I encourage people to go check it out. Some really good information here. And I appreciate you taking the time to be here with us. I really do, Sam. I really appreciate it. Good website. Yeah, I enjoy it. I appreciate it. Well, you do a great job bringing us an update, and I love the the extra color that you put on it. Uh, this inf- the, I'm just, in fact, I got caught up in one of your stories as you were talking on the website. So every time I go there, it captures me, and there's a couple things that really I'm speaking in uh, Oklahoma tomorrow afternoon. I'm speaking with Natalie Hunt of Fannie Mae. I'm also speaking with uh, James Carley of the CFPB. So it's, I'm, I'm in there. I think I'm the comic relief part of it. But anyway, uh, getting a chance. And I'm going to be pulling a couple of things out of here and using it in my talk tomorrow. So giving you a shout wonderful, out. Wonderful. Wonderful. What was the story that uh, caught your attention on the site well, when it, you were it talking? Had to- the the um the mortgage employment i think that's really interesting to see where the state specific information looking any i'm really looking at state specific especially when i go out and speak at state so for those come for those listeners that are in specific and you hear these national numbers you go want to find out what's going on in your area get to this website it's 
Excellent stuff. Thanks so much, Sam. Appreciate it, friend. Right. Thank you. You bet. Appreciate it. All right, folks. We are uh, just looking at what's going on in the markets. I'm, again, I'm over at uh, the the website. Uh, MBS quote line, and we're again seeing markets continue to deteriorate, just uh, or staying at the bottom of this as it relates to the on the on the price side. So rates are on the rise. Uh, looking forward to each and every week to talk to our sponsors about what's going on in as it relates to some of the things and they're promoting and pushing. Uh, ArchMI's Rate Star product is very innovative, and we have uh, Jim Jump here who is ArchMI's uh, chief marketing officer to tell us a little bit more about that product, Jim. Hello, David, and thanks for having me on the program. Today, I want to share some information about ArchMI's most dynamic and competitive rate program. It's called ArchMI RateStar, and it's a revolutionary mortgage insurance pricing solution that goes well beyond traditional MI rate sheets to provide our most competitive rates match precisely with your borrower. RateStar is now available, and all you need is your NMLS number to start using RateStar today. RateStar allows for our customers to obtain our most competitive rate for each loan they insure with ArchMI, and in many cases, with considerable savings over traditional rate card pricing. Mortgage originators are letting us know that they like how easy it is to access RateStar, just how easy it is to use, and they really like the innovative design. RateStar is available to our customers via ArchMI's website at ArchMI.com or ArchMICU.com for credit unions. And the mobile app is available for Apple and Android devices. It is fully integrated with most loan origination systems and product and pricing engines. And with that, David, I will turn it back over to you and say thank you for the time. You're welcome, Jim. You know, when you, Jim, when you talk, look at the different things as it relates to how to get millennials and interacting millennials, it's going mobile. So the fact that you've got a really innovative app is just kudos to you. Also, I want to say out a shout-out to our friends at Motivity. They provide us the KPI of the week or the key performance indicator. Again, I encourage you to uh, just listen to these little nuggets. Everything we put on this radio program is for a purpose of educating you. And so let's hear what John Maynell has for the latest KPI for this week. Hello, Dave. Thanks very much. Great to be here as always. And this week we have another key performance indicator related to TRID. And the KPI is underwriting to closing days. And like all TRID metrics, the focus is the estimated closing date and how far in advance a file should be submitted to underwriting to make provisions for any and all underwriting eventualities, possibly multiple resubmissions, and leaving enough time after final approval to finish the loan and deliver the closing disclosure on time. A very common practice for lenders that have automated their analytics with mortgage business intelligence like Movation is to have the system automatically send email alerts to participants on those loans that are running late and at risk of missing these milestone deadlines. Now, This allows loan participants to continually reprioritize their workflow to ensure they remain compliant, clearly demonstrating again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will thank you once again and turn it back to you. You betcha. Thanks, John. And that's something that I just love, that phrase. What gets measured gets results. Some of the most simple things is what we struggle with in this industry. But something that is not so simple is the regulatory environment in which we find ourselves. And I'm very excited about our guest that we have in the Hot Topics segment. Don Lamp is a partner at Morrison & Forrester at the, the Washington, D.C. office. Now, I did not realize when I was until I was starting to do some research on how large a law firm this is. It is a international law firm, and Don has a distinguished career in law and uh, graduating from Duke University, uh, Duke University Law School. And so always fun to find out those that are well-educated and get them on here. And, but more importantly, he works, uh, you know, by the company you keep. And one of the reasons I like working with Don is uh, he keeps company with some of the top technology companies providing them. He has the wisdom and the knowledge and the legal advice behind the scenes advising on them. So with that, Don, it's good to have you join the, the, the program today. Appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be here, friend. David, I really appreciate the invitation and uh always appreciate the service that you provide to this industry and the leadership, and it's great to be on your program today. 
Well, you're providing a lot of that leadership. In fact, one of the things that I was really enjoyed doing was the recent webinar that John Vong and the folks there at Compliance East put together, and you and I presented there together. And I think people can still go out and download that if they go to uh, Compliance East's website. You gave out a lot of really good information there. But I, Joe and I really want to get in and interview you and talking about this. And uh, we the last KPI uh, that we had, the Key Performance Indicator, that John Mayneil talked about at Motivity had to do with TRID, and uh, let's get right into talking about TRID and the guidance or the lack thereof that we're receiving from CFPB. When you look at what we're seeing as it relates to guidance, um, you know, on TRID, it is considered non-binding, and that is it's not legally binding to the CFPB or to the courts. So do you expect this change any change anytime soon? Is CFPB ever going to issue something that makes people feel like they're standing on firm ground when it comes to guidance? I think the near-term answer, and Paul mentioned this, is no. Um, in fact, the CFPB has another webinar coming up, and these webinars have been helpful, coming up, I think, on the 24th of March. Um, to be fair to the CFPB, they've provided a great deal of guidance to the industry, both in the website and through its webinars. But TRID, more than anything, the devil is in the details, and there's exactly. still a good deal of nitty-gritty questions that um, that haven't been answered that um, we really would like more guidance on, and that's where that's where it stands uh, today. Well, when you look at the nitty-gritty, and I think you say the devil's in the details, uh, the lawsuits are in the details, the litigation's in the details, and I think that's where the lack of that guidance really is challenging people. So how does CFPB's approach to the industry's guidance for TRID and now the regulations coming down compared to other major rules issued by CFPB? Is this the way they've always operated, or in, and is it any pattern that we can anticipate in the future? This one's a little puzzling because um, the CFPB, remember the other kind of monster rule for loan originators was the ability to repay rule. And what happened in right. the course of that rule being issued, David, and you remember this, they issued revised rule text and revised official commentary, I think maybe five on five different occasions. and. Right. Really, it was as a result of, of, of industry feedback, and they have not done that with TRID. So there is a distinction. The the It's possible, and you, you, you hear this, is that the CFPB's rulemaking function, and there's a limited number of folk at the CFPB who are responsible for writing the rules, they may not be resourced to, to take on further rulemaking under TRID, which is really what is needed, something binding, um, because even though we work in the mortgage field, the CFPBs, uh, as, as a lot of people know, regulates all the consumer financial verticals, and they're very busy on some other major rules for debt collection and, and payday lending. So it could be a bandwidth issue at the Bureau that they're not undertaking a more formal, uh, a, a more formal approach. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Bandwidth is an issue within there, even though they have certainly hired a lot of people and hired some mortgage professionals within the space. So we were hoping for that. I want to get into, I'm going to toss the mic to Joe here in a few minutes, talking about Humda and get into some of that. But before we do, you advise a lot of the technology companies on TRID, and I would love to get your thoughts. Do you feel that our technology industry generally has got themselves, their heads wrapped around the TRID issues, or are we going to continue seeing a number of iterations out of the tech companies? And you, know, you don't have to name any tech companies specifically, but I'm really interested in what your thoughts are and how you see the tech industry's response. Uh, what was, what is, and what we can anticipate? Well, it was an enormous challenge. Whenever you have that many data fields that have to be validated and mapped and tested, you can bet that it'd be an enormous challenge. And also, as you mentioned earlier, the stakes are, are high. Old RESPA did not give rise to lawsuit liability. Uh, new TRID does. And I think the tech uh, the tech companies have done a very good job given the challenge. I think what you're seeing is that the, the tech companies and the tech providers, uh, LOSs and other uh, uh, tech providers, are responding to what we're hearing from the CFPB. The questions come up, 
and we're we're advising these companies with the best to the best of our knowledge. But I think you're going to continue to see adaptations as people learn more about how to implement TRID. So um, tremendous, tremendous challenge. Uh, uh, some of the vendors have been criticized, but I think everyone has to measure the the uh, accomplishments based on the, the the severity of the task, if you will. Yeah, there's no question this was this was a significant mountain and another one's coming up and it has to do with Humba Humda. So I'm gonna to toss the mic over to Joe. Joe, good to have you involved in this well, I wanna, discussion. Thanks. I wanted to go back to the the discussion about guidance or lack thereof and in addition to lack of guidance we're not seeing many things go to court and so you don't get answers out of the court. So where do people expect to get answers about questions? Uh, in this area? Uh, that's a good question because one of the issues, Joe, is even the Bureau has said there's there uh, with respect to several issues, there's more than one way to do it and comply with the law. There's more than one way to configure disclosures of figures and to check boxes on these forms. And so right now that's been the struggle because the professionals – that you talk to may have a different approach, and they both may be right at the same time. So I think Paul mentioned this. We're keeping an eye on this industry-wide effort by uh, by some of the Wall Street players and major originators to see what comes out of that and see if we can settle on some principles that will enable the secondary market to keep uh, to keep moving forward and avoid the kind of illiquidity that we're seeing right now. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, going on to Humda, uh, you know, we've all just been through the implementation of TRID, and we've got the implementation of the new Humda rules coming up now. Uh, how do you rate the complexity and, 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 you know, the issues associated with implementing the Humda rules as compared to TRID? Well, Humda rules, what we're saying is son of TRID, uh, and therefore it, it, structurally it's going to be very much like TRID. The actual work that's going to have to be done is not as great because you're dealing with expanded data fields uh, from loan-level data. And the the technologists, the LOSs and others and folks that we're working with are hard at work to have the solutions, but what is going to be required, which TRID obviously required, is adaptation to new technology, um, because the old way of Humda reporting on spreadsheets is not going to work anymore. So particularly for independent mortgage bankers that may not um, have paid a lot of attention to Humda, to the technical aspects of Humda reporting, we're going to have a new solutions rollout from uh, from various providers in connection with the Humda rule, you can you can bet on that. So from that standpoint, um, lenders that are looking at their tech budget, uh, independent mortgage bankers looking at a tech budget for this year and next year, and also the personnel. Uh, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water again uh, for technology, you're going to have this Humda challenge. It's, it's right around the corner. And are generally all the LOS systems, uh, uh, you know, uh, are some further along than others, or some, in your opinion, uh, a concern? The the LOS is um, again, having been through the trid, uh, been through the trid ringer, are very aware. The LOSs that we're working with, and we work with several LOSs on trid, and we're doing the same thing. LOSs and other um, service providers, and we're doing the same thing on Humda. So again, what we advise on, uh, particularly independent mortgage bankers, uh, with respect to with respect to TRID, is the same, which is stay in touch with your service provider, understand who's going to be providing services to your company, and make sure they're on top of it. Don't wait until. Q3 of 17 to start asking questions, and I think it's appropriate as 16 moves along to understand what your service providers 
uh, plans are, what your LOS providers plan. Some people use standalone solutions for home to reporting. That dialogue should be starting more or less now. I, I think we all learn that lead time is everything when you're talking about a new uh, a new tech uh, based implementation. Back to you, Dave. All right. Yeah. When you look at the, this whole thing about the TRID and Humda readiness, I think it's interesting that you're expanding data fields. Expand a little bit on why this is probably going to be not as much of an issue and the contrast. When you say it's TRID, it's the son of TRID, is it that the fields that are there are just needing to be treated differently? Uh, I, know, I know you're an attorney, not a technologist, but if you could give us some insights into that. Someone actually just texted me that question, and we want, then we want to get on to looking at what the CFPB is looking at here moving forward. Well, what, what's going on with TRID is a, is a – or I'm sorry, with HUMD is a couple of things. One is expansion by almost fourfold – at least threefold yes. of the data elements that have to be collected at the loan level and with respect to loan applications. So that's that's number one. So instead of having a dozen fields, you now have 39 fields that have to be collected. Okay. Also, the formatting and input requirements that the Bureau is putting in place are different. Um, so the technology interface that the Bureau is setting up is going to be different. And therefore, you've got the data gathering and formatting, and then you have the submission guidelines, which are all new. And this cries out for um, a, a technology uh, a technology solution. I will tell you the big difference between the two from a risk standpoint is that there is no private right of action for failure to properly report HUMDA data. Uh, what you wind up point. with is the CFPB or the banking regulators, as the case may be, knocking on your door and in examinations and holding you to it. And therefore, you have that risk. And what can happen and what has happened with the CFPB already with HUMDA reporting, if you don't get it right, they'll make you do it over again and resubmit. And I wouldn't wish that under the new rule. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, so to speak. So that's what's coming around the corner, the risk profile is different and the actual amount, the undertaking is going to be, again, better to say trid light, I guess, than son of trid. But it's still going to be out there and it's still going to be very important and it's going to cost money. Uh, again, it shouldn't slow down actual production of mortgages and uh, actual liquidity the way that trid is done. But nonetheless, it's um, it's still going to be um, be challenging and potentially expensive to implement. You just got hey, another Don, question. Is, is it, this, go ahead. Yes. I was going to ask: Is is it likely to create a bunch of false positives uh, or negatives, whichever way you want to look at it, as to you know individual circumstances and potential uh, fair lending questions? Yeah, that's um you're talking about the back end, which is what's going right. to happen to the data. And it, there's a couple of schools of thought on that right now. One school of thought is that oh, with all these with all this data and all these additional fields, you're going to be able to actually demonstrate that you're not discriminating. And there's another school of thought that says um, no, this is simply going to serve up these so-called disparate impact cases to the to people like the CFPB and the federal government. I'm not, I'm not sure which way I come down on that. What we recommend, and it, to me, it's going to be somewhat of a lender by lender determination. But what's going to need to happen, and again, more expense, more effort. But what's going to need to happen is that any mortgage lender of any size is going to want to look at their data as it comes in and maybe even run some test data sets to understand what the data shows about their company. Um, and that was the case even under Humda. We always told folks, don't let the regulator uh, or the CFPB be the first line of review of your Humda data. You should be reviewing it, understanding it, and be prepared to, to talk about it prior to um, prior to a regulator knocking on your door. Getting a lot of questions being emailed in here. Joe, did you have a follow-on to that question? I want to no, no, that was good. 
good, good. That's excellent. Fine. I'm getting two questions. One, I think, is from someone I know. I don't recognize the cell phone. If you want to text me, folks, your questions, text me to 512-632-2900. I'm wanting to get the questions, getting my own phone number out wrong. So uh, two questions have been texted in. The first one is saying, Don, do you see this actually just squelching all innovation as it relates to technology? Is this the clients that you're working with? Are they just saying we're overwhelmed? Forget innovation. Are we stagnant in the area of innovation? I think there's two kinds of of innovation that we're talking about. I think the innovate systems innovation, which is something you work on all the time, David, is 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 actually accelerating and. The Bureau is pushing with the TRID rule. They make no secret about it. The Bureau and the other regulators are pushing uh, this industry to be to to avail itself of more technology. They had that e-closing pilot, for example. Right. So, innovation on the system side is 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 actually you could say is picking up steam. Product innovation is is what's suffering bringing different kinds of mortgage products to different populations. And this all gets back, in my opinion, to the piece of legislation that you guys may remember that didn't wind up in the Dodd-Frank Act, which was the plain vanilla mortgage. But what you had coming out of the Dodd-Frank Act was, you know, with all these legal landmines, the plain vanilla mortgage the conforming mortgage, saleable Fannie Freddie, is the mortgage that's most readily available, and anyone that wants to get away from that safe space is going to have risk management issues. So from a product right. standpoint, yeah, I mean, I think Dodd-Frank has done done um, a lot to tell you that don't think about offering alternative products, to particularly to different populations. That's, that's certainly, I don't, I think that's a widely held view in the industry. One, this, another, by the you're drawing in a lot of activity here. I, listeners, we're happy to get all of these on as best I can. I'll sort through and read them. Uh, one of them is a comment that seems like it's opening more for the plaintiff bar than anything else. I'm not sure there's a question in there, but would you agree, I guess, with that statement? Yeah. Um, with respect to Hamda, and again, my remarks really have been focused on the operational challenge right. uh, of the reporting regulation, but your listeners are quite right to ask about, okay, we submit all this loan level data, what happens then? And yeah, um, we believe we firmly believe that one of the purposes behind all this additional data is to provide further evidence, if you will, of discrimination in the marketplace, particularly this so-called disparate impact, uh, where where statistics alone, quote unquote, can show discrimination. So there's no doubt about it that ultimately this Humda data can is going to be used by the plaintiff's bar and is going to be used by the regulators. The other thing that I see going on, and I may be way out in space on this one, but while we're on the subject, you know, if the government has all the Humda data and all the TRID data and then other information that's available from these uniform loan data sets, I'm wondering whether at some point in time the government, the CFPB or another agency can come in and tell you how to underwrite your loan because there will be enough information there for somebody who puts it all together on all of these systems to say, to question why you underwrote a loan in a particular place, in a particular way for a particular borrower. That may be the frontier of, of all this data collection, by the way, and it's not a happy thought. When you'd have regulators or plaintiff's lawyers come in and say, well, you know, you didn't underwrite this loan proper, properly in terms of price and, and availability, and God knows that would be a, a big headache for everybody. You've answered some of the questions that are continuing, but, but they are rolling in here. It's really interesting to see as you're talking about this. One I want to get out real quickly, does the you know, the mobile apps have unusual exposure, the Rocket Mortgage, the mobile apps, are there a unique exposure as a result of that, or is that just lumped in with all the other technologies out there? Well, what you're seeing in mobile apps or what's going on um, with Rocket Mortgage and a lot of other offers right now, and we spend a lot of time walking people through the the disclosure requirements, and the folks we're working with are very, very careful on the compliance side. 
that may be the question may be broader than that, but the 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 name brand providers of these mobile apps know what they're doing and are getting it right from a disclosure standpoint and a customer experience standpoint. Um, it's an interesting philosophical question, David, when you talk about these 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 platforms that permit the millennials to get mortgages in minutes, so to speak. You know, policy questions come up there as to whether um, mortgages and minutes are always the best idea for all borrowers. That's something I'm not going to touch, but it's something yeah, that exactly. it's, it's something that you're seeing as the technologists build in the efficiencies. People are saying, well, should a loan be as available on an app as ordering a pizza? And I'm not. That's a philosophical or policy question that but, I can't yeah. I can't really. Yep touch but I'll tell you and you see this in your industry these solutions are being offered not because people are sitting around saying wouldn't it be cool to have a mortgage app they're being created because it's what the millennials want and the millennials yeah. uh access products and services on their smartphone period and so um uh, uh, this is coming from market conditions and market demand, not from some theoretical desire to use technology. You're, there's so much good stuff here, and I want to get to the couple other points, and I want to get your perspective inside the Beltway. But first, where are the enforcement hotspots identified uh, the, the areas where there's escalated risk? Let's talk about CFPB using enforcement these days as a compliance tool to show uh, the market participants and how to comply. Comment about that. That was really interesting comments last week. As it relates well, the big, to Mr. Cordray's interview. Yeah, the big the big picture on this is that Director Cordray gave a speech to the Consumer Bankers Association in Washington a couple of weeks ago, and he suggested that um he suggested that enforcement actually is a preferred method to provide guidance to the industry on compliance and risk management and that rulemaking was was too narrow and uh, not responsive enough to changing conditions. Most people believe that he got it backwards, and there's been a lot of uh, smoke and fire about those remarks. But what you're going to hear about this year, the the catchphrase is called regulation by enforcement. And you're going to hear a lot about this this year because it's so controversial, and now the Bureau is come out and said, you know, that is the way we roll. And um, so uh, from a from that standpoint, it's something to keep an eye on, which means that those of us hoping for more clarification through rules with respect to mortgage rules are being told more or less that we need our compliance professionals need to be studying the enforcement cases instead of hope, hoping for, for new rules. We had already planned on discussing this, but two people have already texted me this next question. That is, where do you see the outcome of the 2000 presidential election as it relates to the future or changes possibly in the CFPB? You're inside the Beltway. You probably have a unique perspective on this. Well, indeed, but uh, I do not know who is going to be nominated and who's going to win, number one. But the elections, let me just talk quickly, big picture, about the election's impact. Um, it's impossible to know who's going to get elected, right? And uh, right. If, you watch, if you watch the cable news channels every night, it becomes more and more impossible, I guess, to figure it out. But this, sure. the director of the CFPB right now has a five-year appointment. That's what it says. And his appointment does not end until the middle of the next well into the next presidential term. And what the statute says is only the president can remove the director from office for cause. And so even if you have a new president that wants to shake things up, um, it's not as easy to change the leadership of the CFPB as you might think. I think it's more likely if we see some regime change, it's more likely that we'll we'll see legislation that would reconstitute the bureau as a commission rather than as a single director structure, um, and that seems to me to be what 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 to keep an eye on in uh, in seventeen. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, and your perspective inside the Beltway is just so much appreciated. Several people have uh, texted me saying, get, make sure you get his contact information out. So let's tell our listeners how they can reach you. What's the best way? Email and phone number. 
Yeah, let me give a, a couple. Number one, let me plug our website. We have a, a yeah, purpose-built, website. purpose-built website for mortgage developments. It's www.mofomofi.com. That's M-O-F-O-M-O-F-I.com. My phone number is 202-887-1524. Uh, email D-L-A-M-P-E at mofo, M-O-F-O dot com. And if you uh, go to Morrison and Forster's website, mofo.com, and look for Don Lamp, you can find me. Last name, L-A-M-P-E. Great, Don. Thank you so much for taking time to be here with us today. It's really good. We definitely want to have you back. There's a lot of information. I'll tell you, I've never seen so many questions coming in uh, on a single broadcast like this. So really caught some people's attention. Looking forward to having you back. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you here soon. Uh, nothing else at the uh, Compliance East User Conference in Denver. Encourage everyone thank, to talk for that. Thank you so much, David. It's been a it's been a real pleasure. Look forward to seeing you soon. Looking forward to having you back. Thank you. Next week, we have Keith Pulaski joining us from Radius Financial Group. Very interesting thing that Keith has underway. We're going to talk about it. He's been gracious enough to come on and explain some of the things that they're doing. Very innovative and very exciting. Be sure to tune in next week if you want to hear what's going on with a leading company, with a leader in the industry. Keith Pulaski, be sure to tune in. Folks, good to be with you. See you back here next week. Thank you so much for telling others about this program. And do please check with our sponsors. Thank you. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.